0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Edge Grip Podcast. And we are episode number number Nabil nine nine. No, I think we're ten. I think this is the tenth episode.
1: Oh wow, double digits!
0: We made it. You know that mo- most podcasts don't don't get it to thirteen episodes. So so we're we're most podcasts, right?
1: Right. Well, we'll know in three episodes if we're still here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And for episode 10 we have a very, very special guest. When I say special guest, he is, I believe the fastest American writer we have today. I think there's no yeah, I think there's no American writer that is faster than him today. And his name is Jay Ganier. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for having me on. <laughs> so thanks for coming. So first of all, yeah, thank you thank you for coming and uh I see I see you're dressing up because you're in you're in Colorado right now. Uh and I know you moved you moved from San Diego. Uh so I'm gonna what we do what we do here usually is we start with the bio uh and then we ask some questions. Uh they're all not right. too hard, don't worry.
2: Where where are you getting the bio from?
0: Uh we we have we have our sources.
1: All right, all right. Gal <laughs> works for the Mossad.
0: Oh, come on. You had to go there, right? See, let's we'll see what he comes up with. You know, you know. Once yeah. you said it, I can't do it anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, Now I have to come clean. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: okay, so you started racing motoc- motocross at the age of five, and you did it until the age of fourteen, and you won a whole bunch of races. Um, usually, we start asking, you know, questions, but you're probably too young to remember, right?
2: <laughs> uh, well, you know, of course I remember, uh you know, my, yeah, I started, like you said, you started racing when I was five. So I have all those memories. Like, um, you know, my dad was into motorcycles, motocross. So when I was, you know, about that age, I think I got him to get me a dirt bike. And um, I lived close to this track called Barona Oaks, like down near San Diego, outside of San Diego. And uh yeah, basically started kind of going there every weekend, racing every weekend. And, quickly became something like uh that we did every weekend. You know, I loved it and um was having a lot of fun. And being down there, there was, you know, always local races and stuff like that. A lot of good kids growing up racing, especially dirt bikes. Uh so yeah, kind of did that route. And even, you know, before I I even got on a road based bike for the first time, uh I was kind of just strictly motocross, supercross. Like that was my dream as a kid is to go racing, you know, motocross, supercross with those guys. But yeah i'm happy uh i'm happy that i hit the asphalt you know when i was a teenager through the red bull rookies cup and then it kind of everything took a sh-
0: turn from there and yeah here we are time flies <laughs> so so at the age of 14 uh like like you mentioned in 2007 um what what was it kevin Schwantz came knocking or did you guys apply
2: uh we applied like my dad applied
0: i think probably without even
2: telling me you know i was um I had like some support from KTM at the time, right? Racing little 50, or 50s, 60s, 85s um, in a local shop called All-American KTM that was near me. I assume probably got some brochures or emails, you know, because they were KTM dealership and the Red Bull Rookies Cup thing was a KTM deal. So, um, yeah, he signed me up kind of without telling me anything. All of a sudden he, he got a call and said, you know, let's. there's this road race tryout if you want to go uh, – go do it. And it was pretty short notice, I think. So we had to get together leathers and all that and a helmet. Um, Cause like I said, at that time I had no clue um, about road racing whatsoever. You know, I, I can't even remember ever watching it or no, you know, maybe I know who like Rossi was or one of the big names, but I don't even know if I did. Um, so yeah, I got picked, got picked like there was a hundred and something kids that got, that went to barber for the tryout um based on just resumes you know I think there was there was quite a bit of hundreds or thousands of uh entries into that program and somehow we got picked to go to the tryouts so it was a pretty funny experience for me as like a little 14 year old um in a whole new world you know I had no idea I just remember even race spikes were GP shifts so it was opposite what I'm used to and I just said no I'm like what is like what's going on here you know (laughs) but I think I kind of figured that out and Um, I was definitely one of, I was without a doubt, one of the slowest kids um, that they actually picked out of like the 23 kids that they picked. Um, But I think, you know, it was my first day ever on asphalt. I think I got my knee down one time, you know, at that trout. I remember like one
0: time in turn two. And uh, yeah, somehow, you know, somehow they still picked me. So (laughs) somehow you're, you're always modest, but you know, out of 150 riders, um, you and a few others got picked uh, and then you, you started getting coached by, uh, Kevin Schwantz, obviously. Um, and then I believe you also won, won a few races or won one race that season.
1: Yeah.
2: So, I mean, like, like I said, just,
0: you couldn't have have been that slow, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first couple of tests, I mean, luckily it's funny, like a guy, Danny Walker, who was also one of the the coaches helping out with that program who I know really well. Um, he kind of jokes about, he remembers me my first day showing up at the, at the road race track, you know, I remember even literally trying to put my knee braces on under my leathers. Cause I didn't know, I didn't know. What people um, but yeah, even he'll tell you, you know, I was definitely one of the slowest kids there, or the slowest kids that got picked, but, um, with having no road race experience, I guess they expected me to prove, improve a little bit. And, you know, the first couple of tests before even first race out of the 25 kids or so, I was probably like right outside the top 20, like only in front of maybe a ha- small handful of kids, and then after I think the first race I was kind of in the fifteenth area, and then second, third race I was kind of closer to the top five or top ten. And then the end of the year we ended up getting I think a couple a couple of wins in that class. So uh, it was fun, you know, it was a fun progression. At the, you know, uh, at that age you just you don't think much. You kind of just pick up on stuff, and it just kind of rolled, you know.
0: I was going to ask did something clicked or I mean how do you do that that I mean you're very good at progression if if there's any rider that anybody can look at and say, "Okay, this guy progressed from A to b to c and all the way you know to being a champion, how do you do that progression especially in your head how do you how do you click and say okay i can I can go a little faster in this corner I can break a little later in this corner over here I need to take the bike up and and gas it out earlier how do you how do you do that thing in 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 your head you know I think the
2: the, big, the biggest thing is just having like the competition, you know, I was thrown in the deep end and um, some of those kids, uh, series in the U S you know, Hayden Gillum and, and Benny Solis and Leandro Mercado um, and a bunch of the guys still that we see in moto America, you know, um, but you know, those kids are really, really fast. And so I think having them on the same track, like, at, and like I said, especially being at a young age, you can kind of observe and pick up on things and um you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, if they can, if they can do it, I just got to figure out how to do it, you know, and the body position and having help from, you know, Danny Walker and, uh, you know, even Schwantz was the rider coach and all the, you know, it was a good group of people to kind of support, um, support the kids, you know, so it was a cool program, you know, cause I think it did get a lot of kids, a lot of flat track kids, a lot of motocross kids, um, kids outside of the road racing, you know, into the sport. Um, which is which is I think the goal of the whole program. So that was cool.
0: Good and and then in in two thousand and nine, um, they shut it down and and they pick you uh, to go to the MotoGP Rookie Cup. Uh, and then the yeah. Fir- yeah, and then the first the first year you finish six, and then the year after that you finished. Uh, remind me. <laughs> uh,
2: first, yeah, first. Yeah. first
0: <laughs> that's right. You want no, yeah. You came in and, and the same progression. You you went okay. So those kids are faster than me, but let me see how I can go faster and faster and faster. And at the end of the day, you're the fastest.
2: Yeah, I think I you know I was really fortunate to have like my very first three years of ever ever racing on asphalt. You know, having the rookies cup here and the best kids in the states, and then going straight overseas. Uh, and those kids are no joke. You know, they start from a lot younger and have different ways of riding then I think the, the, the opportunities that are here for kids. Um, but it was funny. I, you know, I, they were, they picked the top three from the U S to go to Europe and I wasn't even in the top three, but so it was Hayden Gillum and Benny Solis and Leandro Mercado was there, but he, uh, he turned it down. Cause he was already like six feet and huge kid and he had some other stuff going on. So I was like next in line and I slid on in there and yeah, it worked out. Like you said, first year learned a lot. I think I got a couple podiums and second year, um got some wins and got the championship so it was cool and um you know jd beach was the only other guy the other the only other kid from the the states to kind of uh win that thing so i think so me and jd are pumped about that
0: so how does it work you you go in there and and the tracks are totally new um the the machinery is the same machinery right
2: yeah yeah same machinery just new tracks and
0: and and who who are the
2: coaches um A guy named, his name was Gustav something. He was an old, he was in the G, he was, I think he raced GPs back in, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe the eighties or the nineties and he was good. He was a lot of help for me over there. And um, you know, my dad got to go over there with me sometimes. And uh, Danny Walker, who I mentioned earlier, went over there quite a bit with me, um, which was good to have at that age, at that, that age to have good uh, good people around me and um, who believed in me and also just, you know, I just wanted to have fun. I knew I was learning, and I didn't, uh, I didn't really expect much. Just to just do what I could, and have fun, and do my best. And sure enough, like it kind of it kind of worked out.
0: If you had to compare those two programs, DMA and the MotoGP, which one do you think has higher level coaches? Which one has better training? And which one has a better chance for someone like you to to progress?
2: yeah well as far as the rookies cup thing that you know it was unfortunate that it only lasted one year in the states because if you know if that kind of thing was still continuing here even to this day in moto america like it still is over there in europe um i think it'd just be a great opportunity for for a lot of kids to kind of get in the sport and 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 race up against each other and learn And um but you know you guys know the gp world over there is just it's kind of a whole different circus you know um a lot more you obvious a lot more travel a lot more attention you know the europeans really love their motorcycle racing you know kind of like i guess we you know guys like you and i wish people cared about it as much here but uh it's just a different world you know a bigger a bigger pond i guess
0: i'm just wondering how many red bulls do i have to drink to get it back here i'll do it too <laughs> i don't doubt it <laughs> Like like that kid with the you. Pepsi. Did you see that documentary on Netflix? The kid with the Pepsi that wanted the Harrier and he drank all those Pepsis. to get the points. Did he win? <laughs> he, he had to he had to sue them to get the Harrier plane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure how it ended because I didn't watch the entire thing. But I was just laughing. I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll drink all those Red Bulls to bring bring that cup back here." <laughs> and then and then 2014. Um, you, you came back here after 2010 and 2014. You win AMA Pro Day, Daytona Sport Bike on a Yamaha R6. Uh, yeah,
1: no, but before we get into this, I, I was curious a little bit. So you know, typically the progression in Europe is you know Rookie Cup, and then typically more or three teams start picking up, and like none of the Americans got picked up. And do you think it's like a geographical thing because? Of the connection the sponsors and and where you live or w- what's happening there
2: yeah you know I, I wish it wasn't but i think that definitely had having the wrong passport just uh made things a little more difficult you know especially the motive like yeah recapping i guess that was my intention i thought you know i won the rookies cup and uh the next year i'd go into it was still 125 at the time so i kind of expected you know if i can win this thing you know maybe i can get a, a ride in the 125 class right. the world championship um, but yeah, it just kind of didn't work out like that, you know and it was funny because you know like I said I won I won that championship and you know second through fifth or maybe even more, all those kids behind me were had a world championship ride the next year. Um, but you know, those teams wanted, you know I talked to some teams but they want they want 300, 300 grand or something you know to to put the bill for that type of thing and I didn't obviously I don't have that money. my family didn't have that money and I think being an American, it was hard to find any sort of backing with that, that amount of money, you know? And, and I think that being said, that is easier for Europeans to kind of get, they have that attention uh, for the sport over there. So it's easier for them to pick up the sponsors and stuff to kind of foot that bill. But for me, for us, it just wasn't, it just couldn't happen at that time, you know? So it was a bummer to see, cause like we said, the same thing happened to uh, JD um so yeah just unfortunate you know and you know it doesn't help that you know we don't speak the language and all that like a lot of those teams especially in those categories are spanish or italian so it's you know it wasn't really part of the family
0: (laughs) i was gonna say i would just learn yeah learn italian you know what i mean it's it's gonna help tremendously if you're communicating over there and also are there any government grants that are going to help someone like that or do they have it over there in europe and and we don't have it is that the case
2: I think I've heard stuff like that, you know, I think probably not like the main European companies, uh, countries, but maybe like some of the, yeah, like maybe some of the South American countries or I've heard stuff, heard about stuff like that, but yeah, I should have emailed the U S government. See if they can help me out.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I had heard that uh, as kids go into the rookie cup, they already, if they're European, they already have like teams and sponsors. They've been talking to, and literally it's just a question of the kid placing well, and and then they they pretty much have a path in front of them, and if they don't play well, then they get eliminated. But the fact that they're local and they speak the language and they're like you know I guess an American in Spain wouldn't be very marketable if Repsol were to sponsor them, but you know different right, things here. Yeah. I
2: knew you know I had a bunch of people telling me even at that age like 14 when I started going over to Europe, uh, you know you got to learn Spanish or something, you got to learn Italian, and you know? I was. And I was studying, you know, doing my best to kind of study at home Spanish and learn a little bit when I was over there so I could I could get my way around. But, you know, I didn't I I, in hindsight, like I didn't put that enough effort into it to really, you know, you've seen I mean, Gerloff's a great example. Like that guy speaks great Spanish. I hear I wouldn't understand it. But, you know, um, and that's the thing, you know, being a kid, being a teenager, I was like, "Ah, you know, I don't I don't need that or I don't get the time for that when. Really, uh, it probably would have—it would have been helpful, without a doubt. I, th-
1: I think
0: they have an entire. Yeah, I wonder.
1: I mean, uh, we used to sponsor Benny, and uh, even when he went to do the Moto Two in uh, the CEV program in Spain, I mean, he obviously, you know, natively speaks Spanish. But there's there's a thing about not being local and and you know kind of not living there and not having the connections and the sponsors and and kind of knowing everybody in the paddock even before you get in it because. Even with that, it was hard for him to just break through and get on the program and let alone, like, you know, stay permanently. And pulling the sponsor was like the biggest piece, right? He, he, yeah. You know, you got to afford two years of paying for a Moto2 bike, even in a country championship. And then um, going somewhere with that, you, have, you need deep pockets.
0: Uh, I was going to yeah. say, they have a machine over there, right? I mean, getting sponsorship is, is like getting a meeting with a CEO, right, of a company. You need you need a lead machine, right? And then you need to set up meetings, and then you need to follow up, uh, and you need to you need all those channels of of getting to the people that are in charge of the advertising budgets, uh, and 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 putting the media package in front of them, uh, and and giving them giving them options. Uh, and I think over there they're more uh, they they're more into it because they have a machine that's already doing it for so many writers. Uh, and and it's kind of like over here with UFC right it's it's a machine that works that generates money for everybody and then, that's why everybody's on a contract right all the fighters are on a contract they don't have to worry about those things cuz they just go into the machine and they go like yeah i need i need this and that and the leads come in the meetings come in and everything comes in and i think when us riders go over there to europe and they try to do it as an individual it's like trying to sell mortgages over here pulling your own leads right you're you're not going to get anywhere even you know even if your name's going to be on a uh on a sign on hollywood boulevard you're not really going to get a lot of leads because you don't have that you know the lead machine of doing it like yeah. the business that it is mm-hmm. so so i think for a u.s writer uh, to go into one of those lead machines over there and, and, and go into the system over there, you need to be a part of it. You need to be a part of the culture. You need to know the language, and you need to mix with the right people. Go to the right parties. Go to the right, get invited to the right, you know, to, to the right homes, um, and do it like they're used to doing it. And I think that's what's missing over here because the level, I think, the level of writers over here. Um, is not, not only the same as over there, but I think a little higher. Uh, because I think we have racetracks that are a little bit more difficult to race at. So when, when someone goes to Europe, well that's that's gonna be one of the questions, right? But when someone goes to Europe and, and all those racetracks, you know, you can see all the corners, uh, and they're all flat. Uh it's it's a little easier. Uh so so the way we do it over here is pretty darn hard and we have pretty good riders uh yeah the the thing that's missing is is that business side of it that's not developed over here that's what that's what i think
2: i think like like i mentioned earlier you know like gerloff who's been over in world superbike now and like i said i you know i think i'm pretty sure that guy speaks really good spanish and which means he probably speaks good italian and he's kind of made himself a home over there and uh you know he's now he's part of that that world superbike kind of core group of great riders you know and I think so I applaud him for going over there and kind of you know taking that risk but also then kind of like I said getting settled making sure he does everything he, he can to stay in that that kind of core group of guys that are really good and you know have a good relationship with these teams and all that stuff so yeah I think he's, yeah. he's you know like even seeing Bobier over there the last couple of years I mean we all saw how fast he was especially towards the end of last year and Uh, but it's not easy, you know, it's not easy being an American. I'm, I'm kind of similar to Bobier, and, you know, whereas, you know, I like being home. I love, I love where I live. And I think he's the same way. Sometimes the travel was a little bit rough and living in in Europe was just a whole different experience. And until, you know, if you're not ready to really, uh, like immerse yourself in it and commit, then I think it just makes things tougher.
1: Yeah. It becomes like camp. Everything is is just Towards doing what you're doing, there's no downtime because even your downtime is strange country, strange habits. Yeah, well, that's that's what no friends. Buzz
0: did, right? That's what that's what Buzz did. He just it's he flew home after every round, I think, right? So he treated this as a job. He came over here, he did it did his thing, and then he came back, right? He went back home. So I, I saw his Instagram, you know, posting steaks from France, right? <laughs> between <laughs> between rounds. Yeah. I think, you know, Danilo kind of did the
2: same thing, you know, but it's, it's what I, you know, it's what any of us would probably want to do. You know, if you're racing hard and you have a bit of time, you know, the, for most people, I think the most comfortable place to kind of recharge and get ready is to kind of be home. And it's easier for those Europeans to fly home every weekend between the European rounds, but you can't really do that coming back to the States, you know? Yeah.
1: Yep. So back to the U S you were on the 2014. So 2014, a sports bike champion on an r6 how was the transition back to american tracks and a a street bike in a sense oh yeah it was um
2: you know so 2010 20 so 2012 uh, is when i started in the 600 it was called sport bike the super sport class at the time um and at the at that time it was it was a really cool transition going from the 125 to the 600 obviously at that time it's like an incredible amount of power. You know, you're, when you're coming from a little two stroke, it's obviously a lot heavier, but um, I guess kind of like what I said earlier, you know, you're, you're young, you know, you kind of figure it out, you get in there with guys who are going faster than you and you kind of just uh, try to learn. And um, so I had a lot of, you know, luckily had that had the road race factory team for those first three years of the 600s. And we were able to kind of bring the championship home. Um, and that was the year right before, the first year in moto america in 2015 so when moto america stepped in i think it kind of gave us a lot of all of all of us a little bit of a fresh light um and it kind of a new way of a new series all type right. of you know
1: and and straight on to winning no huh? uh,
2: well you know i the 20 2012 was my first year in sport bike and um you know i don't remember i think i think i might have gotten one one win in the rain at homestead or something, or I think that was my first year, but that was, you know, back when, uh, Cardinette, Martin Cardenas, you know, Bobbie was on the 600, um, Westby, um, you know, that, like it was, that was a cool time for the the super sport class. I think it was a lot of, a lot of good guys like 2012, 2013, and then 2014 was my last year on the 600.
0: It's the same progression, right? You come in and, uh, you learn, you learn, you learn and you win right you just you stay behind people and you go like oh that's what they're doing okay i'm going to take this and i'm going to use it right yeah uh and then in 2015 moto america super sport champion with 11 victories on the yamaha r1 and-
2: yeah that was another cool year that was uh, i got to stick with the you know still the road race with the road race factory team at the time um you know with danny walker Scotty jensen as my crew chief and danny anderson and all those guys uh and that was a cool year. Like that was another big jump from the 600 to the 1000. I just, I loved having all that more power. And, um, that year, I think that was the first year of the new kind of generation R1. Um, and that bike was just dialed in. It was, that was, uh, a real simple, like just amazing motorcycle and super stock trim. Um, and you know, yeah, that year we, we won a lot of races and, uh, I threw it down a couple of times trying to, you know, our super stock bike worked so good at some of the racetracks that, you know, we were always trying to run down some of the super, super, super bikes, you know, cause we raced in the same, uh,
0: the same start at that time. Um, so that was a cool year. Yeah. And then, um, in 2018, Nike passes and how did, how did it go? You get the call?
2: Yeah, so I was riding still with the road race factory team, and we were riding Hondas that year in the superbike class. So, and we, you know, we were getting a little, a little bit of support from kind of American Honda at that at that point. Um, obviously, I, I had Red Bull still on board, and so when that, you know, when Nikki passed, that was uh, obviously that was crazy for all of us. Uh, I think Red Bull, uh, you know, they had to pat somebody back on the bike eventually, you know, and. So the first, the first round was Laguna Seca. So I was kind of the first guy to, to ride his bike after he passed on. And um, so, yeah, obviously a horrible – not the, not a good serpent circumstance, but, you know, it was crazy. I ended up there at Laguna Seca, you know, on the World Superbike Grid for the first time. It was a total surprise. I think we only had a couple of weeks notice probably. Um, so that was a big – yeah, it was a big shock. And um, it actually went – you know, it actually went really pretty dang good, I thought. Uh, you know, we are right there, like – I don't remember how we finished, but right there kind of in the points, that was when, uh, Stefan Brattle was teammates with Nikki. So, I mean, we've all known Stefan Brattle and MotoGP, Moto2, all that stuff. And, um, uh, it was, yeah, it was funny. We were, we were kind of right there, like not too far off him. And, um, he didn't like it very much. You know, that guy didn't say one word to me, (laughs) (laughs) but it was really cool. It was was a lot of fun, huge, you know, huge new experience working with all the, that huge, the whole team with the electronics and the, like so much more than I was ever used to riding super bikes in the States. And so, um, but I had a lot of fun. And uh, fortunately I must've did, they must've not hated me cause they called me back to do a couple more wild cards at Qatar and France um, later that year. And then uh, again, they must have—they must have felt all right because they called me back to do a full-time year the following year with the Tenkate guys. So
0: they—they they, yeah, they they also said it. They, they said we had a—we had a lot of fun with him. They issued a statement, if I remember, and they really, really liked you.
2: Yeah, we all had a good—you know—I—I I really liked those Tenkate guys. You know, they were all most of the team was um, from the Netherlands. You know, and I, those guys are all—they're all really cool, really friendly. Um, obviously they all spoke really great English too, which helped me. You know, my crew chief was a British guy. Um, so and a lot of good people, you know, my Massimo, my Italian or my Italian uh data guy, and uh yeah, a lot of good people. So we had a lot of fun, and even though I was really jumping in the deep end and taking a big, a big step, you know. Um, I learned a lot that year and we had a lot of fun and uh yeah, got some got some momentum going towards the end of the year, and unfortunately I couldn't kind of bring the momentum into the second year and came back here. But
0: it's that's how it worked out. So it's, I don't think the machine well, was, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nabil.
1: I, I think I was gonna ask the same thing. So the Fireblade, that was their first year. Like it was in development still,
0: right? I, I heard also stories that the chassis couldn't handle the power and, uh, they ran into a lot of issues, but those are just, you know, rumors. So we, we actually got, got the guy here. So what, what, <laughs> what, what's the deal with that bike? <laughs>
2: You know, especially at that time, it was for sure not the fastest bike out there. You know, we were down on horsepower. Um, the electronics package, I think, was actually pretty good. Uh, we but we definitely struggled with chassis, just getting the chassis to do what we wanted to do. And you know, at that time, at that time, uh, obviously, I think Johnny Ray was still like the the man, beating up on everybody. So those those Cowies and those Yamahas, uh, probably the Ducati too. Those were all just they were a bit of a little bit of a step ahead of us in development and, and horsepower and everything. So, um, but it's cool, you know, it was, it was cool to kind of, like I said, make a lot of progress and we were kind of right there knocking on like the top 10 towards the end of the year. And, um, for me, that was, that was cool. You know, as, again, as like a, as just a little motocross kid, like looking back and kind of taking a look around and realize that I was in the world superbike paddock was, uh, was really, really cool. So.
0: And then then when it when it ended, you came back to Motor America on a BMW. Uh, and and then, then you went like I'm home again and let me, you know, let me exercise what I learned, or or were you like bummed?
2: You know, obviously I would have for sure liked another opportunity to go back and obviously a second year with the tracks and the tires and the bikes. Um but yeah, like I said, it wasn't in the cards and then uh yeah, coming so that would have been twenty nineteen when I rode the BMW. Um, and that was kind of a rough off season, you know, on new years, I, I broke my leg really bad. And even at that time, you know, I had some surgeries to get it all put together. And even at that time, I wasn't hundred percent sure on what I'd be doing for that year. Um, but luckily with shy BMW here in a America, we kind of worked it out and I was still limping pretty bad for the first half of the year. Uh, but you know, we made a lot of progress. It was a fun group of guys to work with. And towards the end of the year, again, we kind of had some good momentum going. Um, so had a lot of fun and, uh yeah then the following year I was back back at home on a Yamaha so
0: and and that's that's when the story gets interesting right <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah yeah it was funny after at when I was still riding the BMW barber was the last round and I remember talking to you know Tom Howerson and, and Keith McCarty and those guys um and you know obviously I was trying to like hey you know, let me, you know let me ride that thing um and i had a great relationship with with tom and keith and all the guys from yamaha from all our years with the road race factory yamaha um and sure enough keith calls me after because yeah. there was rumors of gerloff going over to a superbike which left that seat open um so yeah sure enough a couple of weeks after barber keith gives me a call and he said hey man you want to ride this yamaha superbike and at that time that was kind of a dream come true for me uh you know like the dream team dream bike and um uh, yeah, I was a little nervous though, because, you know, I then after, after I heard from Keith, I, you know, I texted Garrett and was like, hey, man, so you're going to get that world suit bike gig? And there was a point where he's like, I don't think so now, or I'm not really too sure. And I'm like, well, dang, you're going to take, you know, that's not, that's, I was hoping to take your seat. And, um, you got to go. Luck- you got to go. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it worked out. You know, I was, like I said, I was bugging Garrett, like, hey, man, is it going to happen? You know? Um, and so I was pumped for him and I was pumped that, uh, kind of it gave me that seat, you know, to be Cam Bobier's teammate that next year. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun being back on the Yamaha. I learned a lot my first year, especially with the team, kind of um working a lot with my riding. Um, and having a guy like Cambobia, he was the you know, five time or something superbike champion. And he's had so many years on that Yamaha and the R1 that uh he was crazy fast that year. And um, but I learned a lot, you know, I learned a lot from from seeing what he was doing on the Yamaha, how I had to ride the Yamaha. A little bit differently from than what i was used to the previous couple of years riding other motorcycles and um so yeah i had a lot of fun that year learned a lot and then uh yeah the next year it kind of came all together you know obviously cam went off to moto too and so i feel like i was i was kind of the guy next in line on the yamaha to get it done and um yeah a lot of things just clicked i like i said i learned a lot being teammates with bowie and
0: uh yeah so so get it done yeah. you did yeah <laughs> So Cam, Cam goes away, and did um, the, the, the rumors were that you took his bike along with the settings, and then you went faster with him faster than him in almost every track with, with his settings. Are those rumors true?
2: No, no, you know um and we had, we had the same bikes when we were teammates, there was nothing, you know, there was no special parts going to, going to Cameron or, or anything like that. Um, he just had a lot more experience. He rode the bike better, um, understood the bike better. And some step some setup stuff, you know, we were always, we were always pretty similar, but we were kind of going our own directions, you know, with our different styles. Um, and like I said, I learned a lot from, from with my riding, um, from watching Bobier racing with him. And then also learned a lot from my team and how to, how to set up a super bike. You know, Cameron was really good at that, having all those years with that team um, and working with a lot of good guys that that was just another step is me trying to figure out what I needed um, all set up wise to kind of help me do what I wanted to do, you know? So um, yeah. And every year, you know, that was the first year when OBA was on there, that was the first year attack took over Yamaha's U S program. Um, and it, ever since, you know, Richard Stamboli, that guy's been awesome, and we keep getting better every year. You know, like everybody else does, that's a progression, but um, yeah, making progress every year. So that's that's always a goal is to go faster every year. So
0: So 2021 rolls around and you get seventeen wins in one season, breaking Josh Hayes' record of sixteen wins, and you get 445 4, points, right? And uh is that the reason why you had to flee San Diego because you broke Josh's record?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was worried Josh was going to come knocking on my door. Uh no, yeah, it was it was kind of an incredible year, you know. It started off the first round we DNF'd, um which was odd and then I was kind of I was kind of motivated, you know. I felt like we had the package to win and if if we put every everything together and if I put it all together in the race, and I feel like we were kind of we should have been the guy that was kind of right there at the front, you know. um, Obviously, all those guys, you know, were still riding great. You know, Bobby and Cam, uh, Maddie, Skultz, obviously, and um, Baz, all those guys, you know, has, a, but we just had that little bit more speed at a lot of the tracks, you know, with how good our setup was and how much I was feeling with everything in the bike. And um, yeah, just kind of clicked them off, you know, had fun. And uh, I was, it was cool winning all those races. And I know some of them, um might have been a little bit boring to watch but you know as me as a racer i was just trying to get at everything i had every lap and at that point you know our our bike set up and everything was just really really on point and um we kind of just took advantage of it you know
0: i was gonna say uh the fact that you say they all rode great how do you know you were like half a lap uh in front of them so how do you know how they rode (laughs) (laughs) they never saw you you never saw them all (laughs) right just at the start Luckily
2: it was funny too, because before that year I had never been much, I wouldn't consider myself a fantastic starter. You know, I have some good ones and I have some bad ones, but luckily that year, I kind of like really figured out some stuff with my starts. And, um, so it made it a little bit easier if I could pull a whole shot almost, you know, most of the races it made it, um, made it to where I could just, I could run the pace that I wanted to run and whoever was, whoever was there, you know, was there. And, uh, most of the time it was enough to just sneak away a little bit. So.
0: And then the season ends and do you, do you sit at home going like, holy crap, what just happened?
2: It's, it's kind of funny. I mean, like it was, like I said, it was cool, but in the moment it's great. But once the season's done, I mean, it's, it is what it is. And I'm already kind of focused on next year. It's the same story this, with this last year, you know, we won the championship a couple of months ago, but since then, you know, you got to move on and um, already start focusing on the next year. So I guess, you know I was proud of the job we did as a team and I was proud of myself you know especially that first year getting my first superbike win and then the championship um a lot of things came together but uh at the end of the day you know we just gotta worry worry about going forward
0: and and what's coming you know. Did did Ducati come over with a fat check after two years where they're trying to Get you, and they're bringing all those stars from Europe. And they go, like, We better just hire this guy because we can't beat him. No, no, you know, uh, no,
2: man. Um, and I've had, a, I've, I'm so happy with this Yamaha team and the guys that I'm with. Uh, I think everybody knows that. So,
1: so there was some pretty stiff competition, right? We had Loris Baz in 21, uh, Petrucci came on board. And I mean, you know, they, they placed, but, you know, didn't threaten really. Yeah, too but, much. But, what do
0: you think Buzz happened wasn't there? Yeah, Buzz wasn't there. I mean, how many podiums did he even get at, at the end of the season?
2: I yeah, mean, he, you know, he was, he was, I, he wasn't quite as consistent as Danilo, but when he was fast, he was really, really fast. And um, especially in practice and qualifying and all that. But I think it was tough to kind of put, to string all those laps together and maybe with how he was feeling and the setup, whatever. It was just, that was kind of where we were able to. <laughs> make, make our break in most of the races after those first couple laps and just kind of keep building speed. You know, there wasn't these last couple of years, it wasn't a whole lot of, for me, at least it was never just sit back and wait till the end of the race. You know, I wanted to get as much as I could out of the bike, every single lap. And, um, but Danilo, I think Danilo did, um, obviously he had been the, being one more year of development on the bike and the team and stuff. I think there was, I think they had a better motorcycle with Danilo. Um, but same thing with him, man. He was, he, even on a new track, you never knew he was, uh, he was always right there. He was always fast. And even times when he was, you know, a half second or a second off in qualifying, I I could never count that guy out for the race. You know, he really stepped it up come race time, um, most of the time and it got it done, you know, and he was really consistent, which, uh, that was my, you know, I struggled. I crashed out of a couple of races, uh, you know, races that we should have won. And that put us, in a hole, you know, and with a guy like Danilo who finished, I think he finished pretty much every race besides like maybe a DNF. Um, yeah, it was, uh, he put me, he put the pressure on me, you know, to to not make any more mistakes. And I still, I made a couple, but uh, I learned a lot. So,
0: yeah, it's one, one of the mistakes. I mean, you I think I remember two of them specifically were actually scared my dog because I'm like sitting there watching the race. And you break the bike in half, and it just flies up in the air in two pieces. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" And my dog's like, you know, on the couch just starts barking. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then another one where where you crash, and then he crashes right after you because I'm sure he was like looking at you. And then he goes like, "Yeah, my tires were cold." No, that's not <laughs> that's not what it was. <laughs> it was target yeah. fixation. That's what it was.
2: Yeah, that one that one at Brainerd was that one hurt me the most, you know, uh, like I said, the first, we had a DNF, the first race, I I crashed out, uh, like the third race. And so we were pretty far back. And finally that was towards the end of the year Brainerd. I think we were going in after the first day, I think I might have been leading that championship for the first time all year. And then on Sunday, you know, I had a, I had like a three, four second lead and was, I felt like I was just cruising, but, um, yeah, just pushed a little too hard and threw that thing away. And, uh, yeah, split that bike in half and that one hurt me, you know, not physically, but I was okay. I, I got up pretty easily, luckily, but that one bummed me out. I was just bummed man to, to hurt that motorcycle like that. And, um, but I learned a lot, you know, cause crashing out of the lead, out of the lead with like a three, four second lead, not too much to go. You know, that was on me, you know, I couldn't make any excuses, uh, so that one, that one made me feel bad. And we lost the championship lead again. And so at that point in the year, it was like, all right, it's, it's going to go down to the last race. You
0: know, you, you know what's funny? I, was look, I looked at your face after, and you, you didn't seem worried at all because you knew you had it, right? So you're like, yeah, this, this championship is still mine. doesn't matter if you're currently leading because I let you lead. I'm still going to take <laughs> it from you. And then I'm going to watch you as, as I walk away from you with the trophy. I looked at it and I was like, yeah, he's, he's going to get it, get it again.
2: That, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that was the attitude that I had to keep even when we were at one point, like I said, I think we're over 50 points down or, or maybe more. Um, and so all I could do is just focus on trying to win races, you know? And, um, of course trying to do that, you know, mistakes will happen sometimes, but I never really, I always still thought that we could get it done, you know, as long as we, we all did our jobs good. And, um, Yeah, luckily we pulled it off. But it was a it was fun. It was a fun nail biter going all the way down to the last race. So it was a first a first time for me in any of the couple of championships that I've won. So,
1: so that's one thing. You know, you're always looking very calm. You get this calm face, like you're at peace with everything that's happening. You're in control. And you know, is that just a poker face to kind of psych out the competition, or are you actually naturally super calm and you kind of handle things that way? I think,
2: I think naturally that's just kind of how I've always, I've been and, um, you know, spending my whole life racing motorcycles. I think that's one thing that you kind of have to learn eventually is that, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days. Um, but all you gotta, all you can do is kind of learn and and move on. And, um, so I think, yeah. And for me, me being me, I think when I'm at my best riding and racing, I I don't like to be too stressed out or, or wung out. You know, I just, Uh, I don't think about much, you know, line up the line and I just say, you know, I, I trust myself, (laughs) my instincts will kick in and, uh, I'll do the best I can. That's it, you know? So it's, it's a little easier to not get too stressed out on what, you know, what could happen or what couldn't happen. I just go out and do my best. And, uh, and when I do that, I have fun, you know, even if it's not the best day. So,
1: yeah, that's a great psyche. So what about 2023? Who do you think is going to be your toughest competition?
2: Nobody, it's good no, it's gonna heat up for sure. It is. Um, you know, every year it's getting, you know, these last couple years, everybody's stepping it up every every season. It's just kind of you know, if you don't step up, you're gonna get left behind. So everybody's getting faster every year. Um, you know, obviously my teammate Cam Peterson is gonna be really fast. Matthew Schultz always always gonna be really fast. Uh it'll be great having Bobier back back here in the series, it'll be really cool, and I know. I know even though he's coming back and after being over there for a few years, but I have no doubt he'll be, he'll be right there at the front and he'll be fast um, and PJ and obviously uh, Heron, you know, on the Ducati and um, yeah, we'll see, you know, it's, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to get tougher every year. Like I said, the races are going to get closer and um, I hope for that too. You know, I want to win races, but I want to, I want to race with those guys and and put on a show and um, so we'll see. I think it's going to be a good year. Yeah.
1: Are we gonna have any European imports on the paddock this year?
2: I not not that I know of. I you know, yeah, not that I know of without you know, it was Petrucci last year, but I think Heron's riding the Ducati now. Um I saw Fores is riding the six hundred, uh, which is cool. You know, I, I even that guy on a superbike I think would be really awesome too. So maybe he'll stick around. Um but yeah. Hmm.
0: It would have been cool to to get one of the Ducati MotoGP guys to come over and try again, just to get humiliated and go back. <laughs> yeah. I you know I wish I wish Danilo
2: would have came back for another year because obviously <laughs> having another year on the tracks and the bike and the tires, no matter who you are, you're going to make a lot of progress. And so because uh, you know he came he came here to our backyard, to, you know to my backyard and all these tracks that I've been racing, you know since I was a teenager. So. Uh, I know, I, you know, I, I kind of did the same thing going over there to, to their backyard and it's no matter, no matter what, you know, there's things that are new and there's things that take adjusting. And, um, so it would have been cool to see him come back, but, um, yeah, either way, I think we're in for some good, a good show. So,
0: yeah, it would have been cool if, if you would go back there and try a few, you know, a few more years just to get the experience and get it, get a better machinery because I think the results would have been much, much different.
2: Yeah, you know, for sure. But, uh, you know, it was cool. It was a cool opportunity. It was cool that we got to go over there last year and and do that one round at Puerto Mayo. And, you know, we learned a lot for sure. Uh, so we'll see, you know, maybe we can do that again this year. It would be cool. We'll hope so.
0: Good. Okay. So now, now we, now we have a few questions. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You have a rich history with the R1. Compare the 2015 Road Race Factory Red Bull R1 Superstock to the 2016 R1 Superbike. And then uh, the bike you're riding now, the fresh and lean bike. Uh, What are the main points? The bikes are different. Uh, Where are the similar? Uh, Where do you see eight years of evolution in that machinery? Uh, And what's going to be different uh, in the 2023 bike? And you can wear a journalist hat right now. And, and tell us from the from the you know from from the angle of a test rider what's what's different with those bikes how are they similar
2: you know uh going back to like the 2015 r1 like i said that was a pretty simple like our you know i think the super stock rules you know we couldn't do a lot with the motor or the chassis or the electronics you know it was a lot of just get geometry and suspension and stuff right and for me that bike coming from an r6 to an r1 was like the perfect just the perfect transition you know because uh, the chassis kind of really had a similar feel, you know, the bike was still really nimble, just had a lot more power. So just figuring out how to utilize that. Um, but you know, now off the show and floor, I don't know how much they changed, you know, as far as chassis and all that, I think a lot of it is pretty similar, but, um, obviously, you know, this, this the Yamaha, we attack Yamaha we have now has quite a bit more power than the Superstock one had, you know, we have more, uh electronic capabilities with with traction control wheelie control and engine braking and all the different strategies you know that's that's all that's a lot more complicated you know and that takes time to to kind of learn and wrap your head around um working working with that and seeing how to get it better and uh of course some different chassis stuff compared to the stock bike we got you know attack attack makes really 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 great swing arms that that have helped us um you know, triple clamps, attack triple clamps, you know, so we could change offset and, and,
0: you know, do a lot more with geometry and stuff like that. Um, Do you lean heavily on changing the geometry or do you lean more on the electronics or both?
2: You know, with these, with my experience with the R1, like we do, we always want to experiment with geometries and ride height and, and different weight, rate bias. you know, Um, and but once, you know, once we're in kind of a, a pretty good sweet spot geometry wise, you know, even the last couple of years, we don't really have to make any big changes from there from racetrack to racetrack. A lot of it might just be kind of more uh, suspension, uh, suspension changes and stuff like that. And um, that's a nice part, I think, about the R1 that's helped us, you know, our track. there's a lot of different type of tracks in the U.S., but once we kind of get it, once we kind of have that geometry that I like, and that feels good for me and I get the feedback that I want, we can kind of bring it anywhere and we don't have to, we don't have to change much racetrack to racetrack, you know, a couple clickers here, some valving maybe. Um, and then from there just different electronic strategies and stuff like that. So
0: it has the slide control. Uh,
2: you know, I don't think it works like the slide control that you get on the stock R1s, you know, um, because you know we have the we have the Morelli system, Magneti Morelli stuff on our on our attack Yamaha's, and um, it's it's pretty amazing. You know what? How 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 that technology has come along. You know, you know you can even because you can change stuff turn to turn. You know, I could have if I want to slide more in turn two and less in turn five. You know, we can make those adjustments. You know, turn by turn and really kind of. At the same time, it is really cool, but, you know, in the beginning, it can be a bit confusing. You know, you, you don't want to stress about having, like, all this perfect electronic settings and forget about actually riding the bike. It's kind of the same thing. You know, once we're in a sweet spot of how much wheel spin we're comfortable with, how much engine brake kind of force we want, um, you know, that's it doesn't change a whole lot, you know, racetrack to racetrack once we're in that kind of box.
0: When you, when you go out of a corner, do you open it immediately all the way? and right against the TC or do you, you know, try to be smooth when you open the, tr- the throttle and, and just, you know, rely on the mechanical grip and just slightly slide into the TC area?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, that's definitely just because there's some great TC, it doesn't mean you can go in there and slap the throttle open. Like you'll land on your head still for sure, no matter how good the TC is. But um, so there's still, I mean, you know, if you could see our throttle lines and our data, there's still a lot of manipulating the throttle depending on how much you're sliding the bike, you know. Um, the biggest thing that it helps with is coming off the turn, is not over, you know, overspinning the tires. You know, we want to kind of keep it in that perfect amount of spin where we're going forward, but still being able to get the steering that we want kind of out of the turn. Um so yeah, being able to kind of play with that and and how much how much spin we actually want, and you know it, it nowadays too it is it is lean angle based, so we can have a little bit more at full lean. You know, you still got to be careful with the throttle, but um, and it's one of those things too. Like you, we could have a lot or a little. All, but the most important thing is like that at the rider just he knows what it's going to do. You know, so I know I know what the bike's going to do. I have a good connection with the throttle after you know riding it for these last couple of years that I'm. I'm really confident in how much throttle I can apply at full lean or how, how I got to use the throttle to keep it spinning or to try to stop it from spinning. Um, so I think like, like I said, it's just kind of making sure that the rider understands like what's going to happen underneath them when they do this or that.
0: Okay. And the reason why I'm asking is because I see, I see you exiting the corner and straightening up the bike way more or way faster than anybody else. Uh, and you're like, your hand is twisted all the way. And you exit, you know, I, I can't get away from the microphone, but you you exit that when the bike's almost straight and everybody else is leaned and you're just, you know, you shoot out like a rocket. So I'm wondering, you know, the throttle control, uh, how does it work when it comes to lean angle? Because I see you straightening the bike immediately. Uh, so th- that's why I was asking.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, with these super bikes, they have so much power that, you're not getting, you know, if you're on the edge of the tire, you can't really take advantage of of that horsepower, you know, TC or not. So it's, you know, it's been a priority and with this Yamaha to, to really get off the turns good is to actually make sure I do decrease the lean angle and get it onto the fat part of the tire before I can really crank on the throttle. But yeah, you know, when you see, when you see that coming off the turn and I actually kind of bring the bike up to have a lot less lean angle, that's kind of the time where I can really, really punch it really into the throttle and really, you know, get get a lot closer to full stick because then at that point you know like i said our our tc and our wheelie control can make sure the bike doesn't really too much and and you're just you're going to get a lot more mechanical grip when you're on the meat of the tire like that anyway so the tc kind of comes out of play a little bit more and and you know you can kind of try to save the edge of the tire a little bit and and be on it a little bit less than than some of the other guys
0: so you have it at the end of the race if you need it basically
1: yeah yeah Okay. So looking at the results, you'd think the bike is perfect, but I'm sure there's some wishes you have for 2023. Is there anything you want the Yamaha to do better next year without giving away any secrets?
2: Uh, You know, for sure. For sure. Um, One, one thing that's cool is, you know, we're, I think with Dunlops coming out with kind of a little bit of a different front tire that we are using that I used to let a test last year, which I think that I think ne- that next or this year, we're all going to be using those tires. So I think, They made a they made a lot of progress in the feel of the front tire and how hard you can brake on it. Um kind of the contact patch that you that you feel underneath you. So I think um well that's kind of the one the the big priorities is make sure we can try to take advantage of this front tire and see what we need to do with the setup to change it to make sure we can really take advantage of. I think, you know, I think all of us guys will be able to get on the brakes harder and maintain a little bit more brake all the way to the apex just with the feel we have with the front tire. So um you know making sure we take advantage of that and obviously we're just we're always trying to fine tune and like you said even this this off season and testing we'll be testing that button willow a lot and um it's always nice to kind of try some different geometries you know like just let's try lifting the front up lifting the rear up or changing the head angle and stuff like that just to to see to see what it does and just kind of experiment around a little bit and then sometimes that's kind of how you find something that like just feels good you know
0: are you gonna try wings
2: Wings? Yeah, like the Ducati has. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. You know, and I think I don't even know what the rules are with the wing thing. And uh, yeah, I don't get the wing thing. I don't. They're motorcycles.
0: I don't really think they need wings. You know, <laughs> but, and they look funky. But you know, whatever. the the Honda ones are like built into the fairing, so you hardly see them. But it's still it looks clunky. But I guess the the theory behind it is that it the the front's already compressed when you start braking, so you can start braking faster instead of doing mm-hmm. the modulation of the brake, I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it's amazing to see what they're doing in like MotoGP with those things now. And obviously that if they didn't work, you know, they, they wouldn't be using them. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's just still funny for me to see some of those big things on those bikes.
1: <laughs> so speaking of tire, you rode in Moto America and Superbike, World Superbike, and you've tried both Superbikes. And both tires, the, the Dunlop and the Pirellis. What are like the big differences you found between both, like the bikes and the tires?
2: Um, you know, well, with the, with the World Superbike, you know, the rules are actually I think pretty similar. You know, I don't know all the details, but obviously, you know, and a lot of those guys in Europe maybe have more resources. And um, but you know, as far as the rules, I think they're pretty similar. You know, the gas is different. I think they could get a little bit more power out of the bikes, maybe, but. Um, so, you know, the main thing really is the tracks and the tires, you know, um, the tires, just those, the tires have a different feel, like the way they flex and the way they move and kind of react to bumps and react to slides and all that. Uh, they're just, it's just a different feel, it Takes some giving, some getting used to, and even some different bike setup stuff. Like if you're going to go from Dunlop to, to Pirelli's or vice versa. And so, um, they, that kind of, it just takes time, you know, experience and as a rider to kind of just wrap your head around it and understand how to make them work and get the most out of them and, uh, all that.
1: So is there enough difference that you kind of have to adapt your riding style to the tire or you kind of ride the same way just with minor adjustments? You know,
2: if there's for sure, there's for sure minor adjustments, not only, you know, not only with the bike setup stuff, but definitely with how you ride, you know, to take advantage of, of just the way that the tires react, you know, and I think that's, you know, for example, when we went over there at the, at the end of last year, after riding Dunlop's for years on this bike, I would have expected, you know, putting Prellies on that. It was, it was more, I think of a change than I, than even I anticipated after having a couple of years, you know, I'd only been on the Prellies a couple of years ago. And so, uh, yeah, just
0: different, different things you got to
2: wrap your head around. Well,
0: what do you, what do you, um, what do you prefer? You prefer that, that, uh pirelli softer carcass a little bit more grip or do you prefer the Dunlops that are stiffer and have maybe a little less less grip but the less they change less their behavior under load i you know i'm i'm biased but i'm a dunlop guy you know I, and maybe it's because i've spent all these
2: years on the dunlops um i know them you know i know them like they're my own um and how they feel and react and um how long they last is really really cool. Um, so yeah, you know, I, like I'm a Dunlop guy. You know, I built my whole career on Dunlops, um, and so they're just like home to me. You know.
0: Do you have any World Superbike stories from the paddock? Anything wild? Uh, because we talked to we talked to some World Superbike riders, uh, and they said yeah the, the old days were more wild than today so so sincere and newer generation writer uh is it still wild or is it you know all business over there?
2: I don't think it was you know like it was back in the day for sure uh you know I don't really have any <clears throat> any crazy stories I'm not a big party guy you know uh the only thing that comes to mind, I think we, you know, I, I knew like my teammate was lean on Camier and, you know, all the British guys, the English speaking guys when I was there on World Superbike were really cool. And, um, you know, I talked to them when I could. There was one night we were all hanging out and one of the guys, one of their Modi homes, you know, Johnny Ray and Camier and Sykes, uh, Laverty, um, you know, who else am I missing? Uh, you know, we got to hang out and eventually I remember them, a couple of their friends going outside to box. Uh, with some boxing gloves and some bottles of wine and uh, some people stepping on some wine glasses and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing <laughs> too outrageous.
1: Oh, that's a good party pack. Bottles of wine and boxing gloves.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, where I, I are you going? Get, I didn't get in the ring,
1: but I, I spectated. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's fun. Now, well, since we went back to Leon Cami, I was going to ask and then I refrained. Now I have to ask it. So any uh, when you were teammates, did Leon give you any dirt on MV Augusto? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, he did. Um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't end well.
0: Did Did know. that dirt come from from an engine that someone forgot to change the oil mi- one mile after they needed to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. I- I don't know. I mean, we all saw
2: that how many times that bike didn't finish the race. Um, (laughs) yeah, either, even besides that, I don't think he was too happy with those guys. (laughs) I'll leave it at that.
1: Yeah. Look look at how happy gal is with that question. (laughs)
0: Well, all all I'm saying is, you know, I I told you before one word Craigslist. So (laughs) I, I think seriously, we should, uh, we should petition to uh, get Colin Edwards as uh, chief culture officer in in World Superbike, mm. and they'll make it more fun. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: We did a post with him, and and every time he cursed, we had to take a shot.
2: Oh boy! Wow. Yeah. Rough.
1: We we had uh, quite a few drinks that night. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, call call. I. I, You know, I've only spoke to that guy a couple times in my life, but I always looked up to him and uh, especially when he was in GP, you know, and World Superbike, you know, I've always, I always, I always liked that guy.
1: It's fun to hang out with.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. He is. I- I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nabil. No, I was
1: going to say, I want to really go try his, um, his ranch experience.
0: Sounds like tons of fun. For sure. Uh, as an ex-teammate of Josh Aaron, do you, th- do you think he can do a better job with Ducati this year?
2: I, you know, I hope so. I, you know, I hope, I hope, uh, I think having you know, he's had, he's got so much experience on so many different bikes, whether super bikes or, six hunters. And I think he's the type of guy we all know he's got so much talent. Um, and when things are, when things are working good and he feels good with the bike, he can always be right there, you know, winning races. So I, you know, I could never count that guy out for sure. And I hope, I hope he gets up there and, uh, is fast and in the battle. And, um, I think, I think he will be, you know, I don't have any doubts. I I never known I didn't know Josh uh much until I was teammates with him that year. Um, but he's a you know, he's a good dude. We got along really well. Um he's a fun he's a he's a character, he's a funny guy. I know I know he gets heated sometimes, but that's racing, everybody does. And um uh, but he's he's a good guy. So we've always gotten along well since then. So hopefully we can do some racing together.
0: Okay, good. Uh, And what about Cam? Cam's on a BMW. You think the BMW is going to be right there with Cam or do you think Cam's going to take a year to just adjust back to life in the U.S.?
2: You never know. But I mean, a guy like Cam, I think I think I expect him to be right there at the front. No doubt. You know, Um, it was you know, we've seen how much that that team has made progress with the bike with PJ and, and, you know, PJ qualified on pole, I think at one at one of the races. And he's um, he was always right there, you know, he had some really good speed. And so with, with PJ and, and Beaubier, uh, both on the team, I think they're both going to really push each other. And like I said, I, 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 have to expect that they'll be right there, you know, both of those guys. So, but it's, that's good. You know, it's, I'm happy to see more, more teams making progress and more bikes making progress, um, and getting more, you know, uh, a good race at the front. So I'm all about it.
0: Okay. Yeah. You can, you can see them ride, um, after the race. Uh, on a replay (laughs) 10 or 15 seconds behind (laughs) but okay (laughs) uh let's see here uh what role does uh rich richard stamboli plan your preparation and who else helps you uh both with writing and with setup i mean i mean the best athletes in the world all have coaches and i'm sure you do too
2: yeah Richard richard stamboli's kind of the team manager he's also he's cameron peterson's crew chief but um, he really he really works on both sides, like works a lot with both of us guys. He knows he's got so much experience. Um, even already with this R1, uh, he really, he really knows what he's doing and he always has something, he always wants to get better, you know. And having John Cornwell, Corn Dog, who's my crew chief, um working with him the last couple of years, like he's really, really helped me uh helped me grow as a superbike rider, helped me understand kind of what I got to do to get better and, you know, what kind of stuff we're trying to get out of the bike to, to improve and working together, you know, communicating with with what we need with the bike and kind of that communication is important. So with, with Corn Dog and, uh, and Richard, we all kind of worked, work well together. And even with Cam, with Peterson's side of the team, you know, we all want to, we all want to help each other get better, you know, so we always sharing data and, and bouncing ideas back and forth. Um, so it's, it's cool to see, yeah, it's, really, it's cool to see a guy like Richard Stamboli and John Cornwell who have so much experience um, with setting up motorcycles and, and and developing motorcycles that, you know, those guys are never satisfied. Even if we have a comfortable race win, you know, they're the first people to say, you know, what do we got to do better? And it's good to have, we have a good communication. We understand all each other well. And so I've I've learned a lot working with those guys. Because um, like we said, you know, the superbikes nowadays, it's not about just going out and riding as fast as you can, you know, there's a lot of pieces to come together with, with the chassis, you know, the electronic strategies. Um, And at the same time, kind of my mentality, you know, those guys keep it cool and and keep it calm. Um, So we all, we all, we all really not only, you know, we're there to work hard, but we all have fun working together. And um, no matter what, you know, especially corndog, my crew chief, he's awesome. No matter what, you know, the guys just always keeping me calm, you know, keeping me focused on, on my goals and what I got to do each time when I step on the bike. And so it's a good, it's a whole good, uh, good crew. You know,
0: do, do you have anything, anybody, uh, for the mental game? I mean, we, we all know it's a mental game. So do you have anybody that's going to say, Hey, you can do this. Or if you had a bad day, put you back on track. Uh, uh you
2: know, I mean, those those guys, my whole team kind of helps me do that. You know, with Stamboli, Corn Dog, uh, Mike Canfield, who's, my mechanic and and Walker. Um, we all, like you, like I said, you know, we've had bad days. We've had days where I made mistakes and threw down a bike and split it in half, but no matter what the guys, uh, you know, we just move forward. We, we, we understand, you know, what I might've did wrong, what happened, how we can be better. And we just move on. So it's, you know, and like I said, I guess I'm not really one to get too strung out, whether it's a good day or a bad day. So, uh, I just kind of focus on, on my job and, um, so we all, yeah, we all have a good time. You know, at the end of the day, I I'm, I know how lucky I am that I get to go race motorcycles uh, with such a cool bike and a cool team, and and be a part of this this world. So, uh, yeah, I just just take it day by day and, and learn and, and move on, and move forward.
1: Did you ever have a time where you had like this huge breakthrough, whether mental or or riding technique or something? Where, and you probably precede your your latest you know swiss clock winning every year at that approach but um where you were like doing something for a while and then all of a sudden something broke through and you were like aha i could do this so much better i
2: think that happens all the time you know like and that's always they're always like little steps little things like little things with my riding or little things with understanding change and setup that we made that gave me the feeling that i wanted and you know, nothing sticks out as like, boom, you know, this is like, that was a game changer. It's just, it's a bunch of, a bunch of little things learning, um, Mm -hmm. learning over the years, you know, like I said, I'm fortunate. I've got to, I've got to be, I'm road racing for man, like 15 years now. So, um, I've worked with a lot of amazing people on different bikes and there's never a year or a weekend where I'm not learning something, you know, every, every time I get on the motorcycle. So it's all, yeah, a bunch of little, you know, baby, baby steps.
1: Yeah, I guess for us uh, track riders, everything seems like a major breakthrough. Like all of a sudden you plateau, 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 and then somebody tells you move off the seat more, and then the bike wants to turn. And you go like, oh, <laughs> that's what I was doing wrong all this time. It's more yeah. of a step approach.
2: Yeah, those are good to have too. You know, I think, you know, in my first couple of years road racing, like those big aha moments were um, a lot more a lot more often, you know, and now it's it's just a bunch of little things every every time, you know.
1: Yeah, awesome. So, Gal, I think there's one last question. Uh, you want to go do it? Because you got the credit for that.
0: Uh, I, I don't know. if When you say one last question, I see two more questions. Uh, the last one is, who's your favorite, favorite teammate? Uh, but there's one before that.
1: Yeah, I like that one. Uh, okay. The one before.
0: Okay, so uh, one of your quotes is, if you're going to be a professional motorcycle racer, you should be able to ride any kind of motorcycle well. How do you get familiar with an unfamiliar bike and go at race winning pace on it? Describe the process, uh, along with all the steps you use to get the feel and push the limits, uh, as much as you can and win on it. Uh, now go deep. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, um, like I said, I, I'm always,
2: I, I'm grateful that I got to kind of start on dirt bikes. Um, and you know i i'm all about riding anything you know dirt bikes motocross flat track you know i still try to do as much as i can and i think it just develops a lot of different habits and skills and um you know even even if you're riding a dirt bike like you know you know i know the body position is a lot different the techniques and everything you know is a lot different but you can still pick up i think just on a lot of a lot of little like you know like muscle memory and, and things like that like i I just, I think it's important to, to do as much different stuff as you can, you know, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I, I, that's just one thing I guess I've always, like I said, I've been fortunate. I raced motocross growing up. I got to do all these road races on um, a lot of amazing, a lot of amazing road race bikes. And uh, I've done a lot of flat track, you know, like I'd, I do a lot of those American super camps still. So I get to ride some flat track. And um, like I said, I think I'm just any, no matter what type of riding you can do, any type of seat time is going to help you in some way, you know, um, like mentally or physically or just, so I, I, yeah, I think it's important to to ride as much different type of motorcycles, you know, that you can and, and just learn learn from it, you know.
1: How do you adapt? You go to a, like a brand new track or it's a new motorcycle, it's like what's the, you have a process, let's say even it's a track, right? Do you take mental notes? Do you take written notes? Um, how do you learn so fast to, to be quick on something new?
2: I think the biggest thing is just experience, you know, like having to do that all those years, even my first couple of years, like new tracks everywhere I go and then Europe and then more new tracks um, and new bikes. Like I, you know, there's not like, in, there's not a whole lot going in, going on in my head, you know, before, you know, I don't have like all these checklists of like what I got to do, whether it's a new bike or a new track or whatever. I think, um, like I said, I'm fortunate to have a lot of experience like in this in this game. And so I kind of just think I just kind of don't think, and I just kind of trust myself to just go out and, and ride. And um of course I think a lot of it is subconscious, you know, like I'm not going out there thinking, find the brake marker here and find the the the, the smoothest part of the track here. I think at this point it, a lot of that stuff kind of just comes naturally, and as long as I can I just kind of focus on staying calm. Um and staying kind of loose and just finding, finding the way that feels good. You know, like, I think at this point in my career, a lot of it is uh, with the amount, you know, with all of the riding that I've got to do, it's just kind of, it's just kind of feel it's a lot more feel than, than, you know, thinking about it very logically, I guess, you know, a lot of the times I just got to kind of trust that I, you know, I know what trust that I know what I'm doing out there at least a little bit, I think. So (laughs) I just roll with that.
1: Yeah, so a thousand points for the gut approach. You know, there was like some a lot of research done around the business world on people who actually make decisions by gut versus people who make decisions with a lot of analysis and data and try to rationalize everything. And the kind of the conclusion we're always tending towards the gut basically gives you all the data that you would actually slow process if you're trying to be conscious about it. But it, your gut does that within a microsecond and you get the benefit of all this experience and you make the right decision that way. So that's yeah pretty cool approach.
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, overthinking anything has never really gotten me too far, you know, especially on racing, you know, like, uh, like I don't want too much going on in my head. Like I said, I just kind of stay calm and just wait for the time to go out there and do it. You know, I think, um, overthinking stuff, like it's easier to, it's, I'm better off just underthinking and trusting my gut, trusting, uh, the experience and the skills that I have, um, to just, to just go out there. And like I said, a lot of the stuff is subconscious, you know, like things that, that keep me in like the zone of, you know, how I approach each turn. Uh, You know, like I'm just, I'm not riding around with my eyes closed, just mindless, but, but uh, a lot of that is just kind of, you know, like experience and learning the hard way, you know, I've done plenty of stupid shit in my career to,
0: (laughs) to hurt bikes and hurt myself. And over the years, that's how you learn sometimes, you know? That's funny yeah we
1: same in the business we, yeah yeah
0: <laughs> we, we talked to nick einatch and for 45 minutes he told us how to get into a corner right and you just go like yeah just do it oh yeah that's that's a lot
2: though. just do it you can't <laughs> you can't you can't think about all that stuff when you're you know no matter how bad you want to you know i think you have this big list of stuff going on in your head when you're going when you go out there it's going to be gone you know when you when you're in the zone and you're actually riding you know and i think so i think I, At the same time it's all you know i always go out there with a with a game plan and a goal and things that i want to do better every every practice session uh or race but i think it's important to kind of keep keep focused on the 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 main points you know i don't go you know i might have a list of one thing that i want to feel you know i might want to focus on feeling how this fork change this fork changes or i might want to focus on just Getting off the turns, more roll speed, whatever. But it's never a big list of things. It's I think I try to keep it simple, you know, and focus on a couple little things at a time.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah everybody that we talk to, they all have different, you know, different approaches and different attitudes. Josh Hayes, for example, says, "I have a really large toolbox and all those tools I took from other riders." Uh, so, so I looked at, you know, Ladin go, goes out out of the pits and immediately set a lap record the first lap uh and, and i said okay I, i'm gonna i'm gonna take this and i'm gonna use it right so what did you what did you take from from riders that you saw and what do you use yeah
2: i mean it's good you bring you bring up a guy like josh hayes who you know he said that's kind of i always admired i mean i've known josh a long time and you know i've always really admired the guy as a racer and just as a good person. Um, and he's just, you know, he's a badass, badass motorcycle racer. And I always admired, like you just, like he just mentioned, or you said he mentioned that, you know, he goes out there and he has a game plan and he goes out there to ride and be be 100% focused every time. You know, he's not lollygagging around trying to find someone to follow or put in a heater and then cruise around. You know, it's when, it's, when you're on track, it's game time and you got to take advantage of every lap you can. Um, so I think he's influenced me a lot kind of in, in that, in that aspect, how you kind of go about taking advantage of every, every lap that you're on track. And that kind of makes it easier to translate in the race where he was the guy kind of doing what I like, you know, I've been able to do sometimes here the last couple of years where he just, if he, if he gets out front he's going to, he's going to get, get everything he can out of the motorcycle, every lap, whether he's got a half second lead or a five second lead, you know, he wants to go out there and, uh, and give it his best and not, not screw around, you know? When it's game time, it's game time. So I think that's that's one cool thing. It's funny that you brought that up because I you know that's that's been a big thing for me.
0: I, I think I think it, it'll be a good idea to give him a ride uh, on an R one this year, at least as a wild card once. Yeah,
2: that'd be cool. I mean, I remember last year he came out, him and Jason Pridmore at a test of buttonwheel and they got to ride, you know, um our superbike that we won with, you know, last year, and it was cool. Those guys had a lot of fun.
0: Uh, I heard he got like, like a second, a second off the lap. Yeah. Before I don't
2: life. know. I know he's fast. I mean, I, I know he's fast for sure. So that guy can, that guy can ride, you know, no matter what.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I I think, I think I don't have any more questions. Do you have any questions to Bill?
1: No, I think
0: we've dug into this pretty deep. Yeah. I I'd Anything like to... else we
1: should, you want to talk about Jake?
2: Uh, uh no you know it was, it was good talking it was fun it was fun reminiscent on the old times you know the
0: old Where, times I mean, you're still winning not, <laughs> the old times. Old.
2: <laughs> but, you know even even uh you know my earlier years of road racing so yeah it's cool it's good to talk to you guys and uh yeah let me know we'll we'll uh get back on here soon maybe once we get racing this year and have some more to talk
0: about yeah I, i'd like to see i'd like to see you you know do a few more seasons here and then move to moto gp yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. So, you know? Yeah, I think I think start making yeah. some calls for me if you got any contacts. <laughs> uh, Colin Edwards, no. <laughs> uh, it's you know if if they're just gonna I think you're one of those guys that if they're just gonna give you like a three season deal, the third one you're gonna win the championship. That's what <laughs> that's what I think. The, the first one you're gonna you know you're gonna come in top ten and then the second one you're gonna come in fifth and then third one you're gonna win. I think that's that's how you work um just just on instinct you're just going to feel the bike and, and go with it uh so that's that's what i think but you know we'd we'd love to see you win again in a, another season here maybe two more seasons here um and and we like we like seeing your face you know when you smile and you go like yeah i just went out there and rode and then everybody else goes like yeah he was it was just you know different level we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't catch up that's why we like to uh, that's what we like to see so so, thank you, uh, thank you for showing up on our little podcast, uh, and thank you,
1: Nabil. Thank you so much, Jake, for your time and all the great stories you shared, and best <laughs> of luck for the season.
0: We'd yeah, love thanks, to see
1: you winning. Yeah, thanks,
2: thanks again, guys. It was cool to talk to you, and uh, we'll definitely uh, catch up. You know, once we get once we get into the season here again, and and see what's what. For sure,
1: it's a date. <laughs> all
0: right. Thanks, guys, for listening.